created. I saw what I was making. I made you something special. So what the world may have deemed you, don't worry about the, what the world said, but worry about what I'm about to do in you. What was made a mess, I will always can make it a miracle. Nothing is too impossible for me. If you've been addicted to drugs, if you're coming out of a relationship where you've been beaten down physically, emotionally, spiritually, I can turn it around. If your bank account is low, I can turn it around. If you at a point of desperation, I can take you out of that sea of desperation and put you on my boat of hope. I am the Lord God Almighty. Nothing is too hard for me. What is impossible for God? Amen? What is impossible for God? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Always trying to mess me up tonight. Praise the Lord. We are in our series, What Should the Church Be Like? What should the church be like? Last week we talked about that the church should be of greatness. And this week, the church should be like a hospital. The church should be like a hospital. Now let's read our verses together. And I want to stop for a second. Let's all turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And I know there's a different way to say Isaiah and I, and I'm just too bashful to try to say it the other way. I don't keep with Isaiah for right now. I know Isaiah. I'm not going to go there, y'all. I'm not going to go there, Beverly. God messed it up. You know, you've been saying Isaiah Thomas all your life. You just know it's just, it's just Isaiah. Isn't it Isaiah? But it, we know it's some better pronunciations for God's word. Isaiah. Isaiah. My children, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Pull out your Bibles, my children. Because we want, we want our children to begin in their word with us. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. And it said, The Lord, I'm sorry, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. Hmm. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And so we come into what is the primary focus or purpose for a, a hospital? What, what's some of the primary focuses for a hospital? To heal people? What's some other primary functions that a hospital supposed to be? We got it to heal people. The, the checkups. All of it doing with your health. The hospital is not supposed to be in the business of trying to make money. Now, now we know that that well, talk about it. Some of us got some hospital bills out there, man. I know we got some, and, and they cost some money. Uh, Kelly had went into the hospital, emergency surgery, 
of September, you get to look at the, the hospital bill, they didn't charge $100,000. What? I, did, I mean, I know she's worth more than 100000 <laughs> But you know, you think you should have some filet mignon in the hospital then for $100,000. And, and the, the insurance took so much, of course, and we had to take so much. But when you think, now the insurance company paying all that money, y'all got that much money? Mm. Now y'all, if y'all gonna negotiate y'all bill, negotiate my bill too. But that's here or there, nothing wrong, we have some insurance people, nothing wrong with insurance companies. Amen, And wrong. We praise the Lord for Brother Damon, who is a manager at Blue Cross Blue Shield, and so forth. But the primary focus is that it's supposed to be a hospital here. Are you going in? No, I don't have any money. My insurance ran out. Some of us have not been to a hospital because we said we don't have insurance. Obamacare main focus is truly to give everyone access, that's supposed to be the mission, to give everyone access to affordable health care. Not to free health care, but to affordable health care. Well, the primary focus of a hospital is to help the sick and the injured to get better. So therefore, the most important feature of the hospital is not how the building looks, not uh, who, who's in the building, how many degrees they have, or how much high-tech equipment it is. The primary focus of the hospital is to what? To help the sick and help the injured get better. So if that's a true measure of the hospital, is the ability for them to get people better, then if the hospital doesn't do that, no matter if the hospital looks like the White House or this beautiful uh, Taj Mahal, if the people are not getting better, then that hospital is doing a poor job, amen? I don't care if that hospital is in Holland Park, Beverly Hills, or whatever, if the hospital, if the hospital does not, if it's not getting people better, then it's not doing a good job. And so, when we go into talking about the church, it's the same for us. We are called to open our doors to people who are sick. Sick with sin, sick with addiction, sick with burdens, sick with hurts. We are called to welcome, to welcome all those in God's hospital. God's ministries or ministers are probably practitioners. Practitioners of the soul operating on the direction direction of the great physician. Now, for some strange reason, many of us think that the hospital or the church is only for the righteous. No, we think that uh, if you were going to a hospital and everybody's well, would that not look strange? But we have churches every day where we look strange as somebody who got the addiction. We want folks to come in holier as they are. Holier than now. We want people to look like us, think like us, be like us. Be what we are. And Christ did not do that. Christ said that the church is not for the righteous. See, that's a Pharisee thinking. And if you go back in your Bible, the Pharisees were a group of people who thought above themselves. Who, who, who always so-called followed the rules. But they didn't care about people. They cared more about the rules than people. Sometimes we as a church have gotten to a point that we, I, we have seen it where we will not let folks in if you ain't dressed right. And whatever dress right should look like. 
Because I didn't see the, the, the dress code in the Bible. But we have a dress right look like. Sometimes we have turned people away or at least gave them a cold shoulder. There are people in our community that many of our churches are community churches. What does that mean? That most of the people don't live in the neighborhood where the church is established. They are driving into the church. But what is happening around that community? We are seeing, and I could go to South Dallas today. I would tell you I got 10 houses. I would tell you about six of them houses. People are in the house. Why? Because most people don't come to church because they've never been invited. They just have not, not come to church because they don't want to. They have not been invited. This is why I press upon our membership. Invite a friend. Invite somebody. Because, see, most people, 80% of those who have never been in church have never been invited. Now, think about that statistic. 80% of people who have never been to church have never been invited. Who did you invite this Sunday? Now, I'm not saying, well, they didn't show up. I'm saying, did you invite somebody? My job is not to save. My job is to lay the seat. Did you invite somebody this Sunday? Did you invite somebody anywhere this Sunday? See, the church is not the building. See, that's the other thing we have to get back to. The hospital is not about the business of creating nice big uh, buildings. The hospital's main job is to save people, to, to heal people, to make them better. Our main job is to go and proclaim the gospel of Christ. But if we choose not to do that, then we are not doing our job. Our job is not to save, our job is to proclaim. And so, the church should, should be viewed as a hospital and not a fortress for the righteous. So when we get into this, these points today, we're looking at our job is to reach the poor and the sick for Christ. Our job is to care for the broken. Our job is to stand in the gap. So we get into our first point. God has called us to reach the poor. Now, let me give you an analogy. Many of us, when we say God has called us to reach the poor, we think of income level. God is saying, there is a poor man in Highland Park. There is a poor man in the White House. Not talking about Obama's other folks in the White House. Y'all know that, right? It is an official uh, executive building. Obama lived there, but everybody's working there. All right? There's somebody in the White House not saved. I don't guarantee that. There is somebody poor at my wife's job, Hamilton Park. There's somebody poor at City Hall. There's somebody poor. There's somebody poor all the way in Beverly Hills. There's somebody poor on the movie sets. There's somebody poor on Wall Street. Well, Pastor, how can they be poor? See, we so many times will look at the material things in life. And God is saying, it's not the material things that will get you to heaven. I want you to understand, we can go into the heart of Egypt today and find pyramids filled with gold. Why? Because they cannot take the gold to the other side. The material things that they had invested in, they cannot take to the other side with them. What God is interested in, do you have a relationship with me? See, a poor person, a true poor person, does not have a relationship with God. They, in their bank of relationship or spiritual life, their bank is empty. It is overdrawn. They don't have a relationship with God. Too many times we are trying to bank. Too many times we are trying to bank what we are doing and how we've done it and what we're doing it. Too many times we're banking like that. And God is saying, you are poor because you don't have a relationship with me. Your bank account could be a million dollars. You could be Bill Gates. 
You could be out here, you pull up in a Bentley. And you know you, you gave your little tithe even. We like, oh, he gave the tithe. But understand, and I will say this to the day I die. I don't care about your tithe, I care about you. See, if your relationship with God is jacked up, but you every Sunday giving a thousand dollars, give your thousand dollars away. I want you. Because see, your thousand dollars is not meaning anything because your relationship with Christ is faulty. Your relationship with Christ is not there. You have no relationship. Now think about this. If I go into a marriage and we got a big house, you know, many of us men get upset because on a wedding day, we didn't spend about 10,000, sometimes 15, you know, them big nice weddings, 20,000. My wedding went no 10,000. We were in the gym, daddy had some chicken wings, and so forth. We had a good time though, praise the Lord. We were, we were, we had made, we had struggled to get to that point. Man, sister in the back, we had struggled to get to that point. We had some folks singing for us, praise the Lord. It was a nice time. But it was no ten thousand dollar wedding. But many folks, and I'm gonna try to one day get my wife dad one day. One day, one day, one day, one day, one day. Amen. Man, we eat and get her a job in J2. So we <laughs> When we, but we have spent so much on the wedding day that we think that the wedding day, that it looks so fabulous. She had doves flying and she had this gorgeous dress and he had this Armani suit and we, we paid the band this money and we had, we had filet mignon and, and we had champagne and we, we just did it big. We spent about 20,000. We think that the expense of that wedding to make a great marriage. Now Beverly, they don't make a great marriage, does it? Because when did the $20,000 end? The day you walked out at, at that wedding. You might spend a couple more dollars on the honeymoon. Man, we balled it on the honeymoon. We, we went to Jamaica. We just, we just did it. We, just, we out there with the, the drinks and everything. We did it. We spent all the money on the honeymoon. But when you got back, and, and you know what we didn't spend? We got a big old house. But when you got back, you can have a big house and a nice wedding and a great honeymoon, but have a jacked up marriage. Because you have no relationship. You see, too many of us have gone to church, but we have no relationship with God. Too many of us have said, I, 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 you know, I celebrate Christmas, but you have no relationship with the Christ mass. You have no relationship with the Jesus Christ who is being honored and worshipped in that time. You have no relationship with God Almighty. God is not asking for us to go and be hearty with your tithes. He's first asking, where are you and me? How are you and Jesus doing? His first asking about that. And so we all have to understand that our true richness comes from Christ himself. So we get in, what should come to the church in hope? We should come to the church in hope to find out what's wrong with us and get some healing. Well, pastor, what you mean? We're going to start healing services? I ain't say all that now. But this is what I am saying. It doesn't seem strange to go to the doctor and when the doctor tells you what's wrong with you, you get mad at the doctor. It, that seems strange, doesn't it? You came in for the checkup, but the, the doctor told you what was wrong, now you're mad with him. And you don't want him to operate. You don't want him to give you any prescription. See, many of us have avoided church because we know we got some stuff wrong with us. We got some jacked upness going on. So we have avoided that. Some of us have come to church and we want everybody else. Well, you can talk about Susan so-and-so. You know Susan so-and-so and her husband ain't right. But you can't talk about my relationship. 
You can talk about some so-and-so and her pride, but you better not come over my street and talk about my pride. You can talk about some so-and-so and her alcoholism and, and her drug addiction, but don't talk about my son and what he's doing. God is saying, understand, the church is about the identification of where you are in Christ. It's about the diagnosis of truly what you are. See, many of us have, you know, some of y'all might have tuned out on me already. I'm like, ah, it's womp, womp, womp. Charlie Brown right now, womp, womp, womp. And I want to bring it back. Because right now is diagnosing time. See, because God is coming in and, and, and understand, I'm not the doctor. I'm just the, the nurse physician or whatever we call it. to address the jackedness of our life. See, some of us, we will go back, we know we, what we are today, we made some mistakes. We have sinned and that got us to this point. We know, we will really stand back, you know, actually, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. But God is saying, I knew you were going to make some mistakes. And I still bless your way. See, your way is not where you are right now. Yeah, I already knew. You knew where you should be, but I knew where you were going to be. Now, bless so God has been diagnosing you. Do you want to look in the mirror at yourself? Do you want to see where you really are? The anger you may have. The resentment you may have. Do you want to see where you really are? Some of us think we are so Bible knowledge. I know the words. You know, I was almost there with Paul. I could have wrote it myself. You know, I could have been there with Moses and had the Ten Commandments. I am holy. I'm a scribe of the word. Baby! You might know something, but I know God. And I know we don't know everything. And it's hard to be in a room when you got especially educated folks. Folks that have been to seminary, folks that have been to this and that. And it's hard to tell them something, but I'm going to tell you something. Your knowledge of God does not even come about 1% of who he truly is. Think about that. Because the God you serve saw the best in you and took that jacked up mess that's in you and said, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to grab you at the club. I'm going to grab you at the liquor store. I'm going to grab you at the crack house. I'm going to grab you at that boy's bed. I'm going to grab you. And even when you still messing up, I'm still there grabbing on to you. Saying, don't you see? I am right here holding on to you. Wherever you go, I'm still here. Wherever you may uh, sleep and put your bed and when you rest, I'm still there for you. I am there for you. I'm God Almighty. I'm God Almighty. And so it doesn't make sense. We had to come to a point where we got to realize where we are in Christ. Now, the, the next thing that we are uh, asked to do is we are, we are supposed to care for the broken. We are supposed to care for the broken. Supposed to care for the broken. We're supposed to care for the broken. Now, I haven't watched a lot of football this season. Like I have in the past because... When you have children, they start to dictate what you watch on TV. They really do. 
Cause my my daughter is not the biggest football fan. They both my children know what football is, and I might get in. I don't get in a quarter. I might get in uh, two minutes. And those two minutes is a hard negotiation. Look, look. Just let me get to the two minutes. The please at the end of the game. ESPN and me have been friends because they show me the highlights. I didn't see none of the games yesterday because I'm watching Care Bears. Now I, I want to bring you back to the Care Bears though. Come. It's funny how children can help you with your sermon. Now, I have not, well, now let me say this first. Care Bears, I, I ain't really watch Care Bears like that. It was only in the morning, and then the Flintstone Keys. Okay, so I, I, let me bring it back up. So Care Bears, I have not seen Care Bears in a long time. Uh, when I was a kid, it came out, remember uh, Mr. Pyramid Place? I remember Mr. Pyramid Place, then it was Care Bears, then it was Flintstone Kids, then Scooby-Doo Kids. So we just like, boom, boom, I'm going to watch Scooby-Doo and Flintstone. I just stayed up to watch uh, Premier Place. I might as well throw in Care Bears. be all right. All right. All right. So I just want to put that out there. The Care Bears have this thing. The whole thing is they're fighting this, this whole evil spirit, and they're fighting this, this with the little chest that, you know, little sunshine comes out, and it's supposed to separate all that darkness, right? They got the little lights in the belly and all that stuff. I want to break down the Care Bear mythology today. I'm not doing all that. But Care Bears is back on the scene. They are Toys R Us, everything. My daughter just loved her little Care Bear. I said, and the 80s are coming back. What a great decade. But the Care Bears care about these children. Children they don't even know. They just out there caring for them. They're like, what's wrong with that baby? They just care for the children. You don't know this child. Today I'll be like, hold up, stranger danger, who are you? And they just care for me, like, why are you so sad? And they hit their little belly up, boo! And they just doing that. You know, and it's just boom. So, so what am I trying to say? The care bears knew they had a mission and goal. They were always on their goal, focused. I'm supposed to be trying to eradicate all this evilness. I'm supposed to be uplifting these children. I have a goal. Too many times in our churches, we don't we forget our goal. When we have folks coming in, we, we let them leave out. If you are broken, that's our job. See, it, I, I can't heal. We're not going to have no healing service. I'm not going to tap you on the head and you fall out and you're talking about you can dance and walk today. I, that's not going to happen with me. I, I know that that's not my gift. I'm not saying it don't exist. I'm saying Mark J. Morrell ain't never did it because I wish I could do it to myself. It, uh, I ain't got it. All right? But what I do know, I can care for you. And what I do know, the church has a job to care for those who are broken. But what does that mean, Pastor? We are supposed to care for broken people. Broken by sin. Torn apart by the guilt in their life. We are supposed to tell them about the warm embrace of Christ's loving arms. The loving arms that combine the brokenness of their hearts. We are supposed to mend and cater to people who are feeling torn apart by the pressures and problems and preoccupations of this world. See, that's our job. Our job is supposed to go out there and let them know about God's experience of mending and repairing and building our own lives. See, when we are talking about care for broken people, you got to put your business out there. See, too many times we want to close our closet door and close our front door like, now what you need? You need this? Okay, we'll go around so-and-so. No, God said open your house up, open your life up. Let your life be the living word. Tell them folks, you used to be walking the street. You know some dudes' beds. 
But God has taken you out of the veins of many men and had you worshiping one God. God has taken you out of the crack house and take you on a night, a straight and narrow road. God has taken you out where you had a jacked up relationship where you and your husband or you and your wife always fought every day. When y'all fought, it was like Tyson and Holyfield going at it. Y'all biting ears and everything. Y'all up in the place fighting it out. But God himself mended that relationship. You and your mama didn't get along because your mama was more of a rolling stone than your daddy. But today, you and your mama have a relationship because that was God who did it. Some of us have some sons and daughters who are out there in the world, but we have a testimony that God brought them back. That is God who did it. Now why do you say all that? Because we got to share our mess. See, when you come to the table and you say, I'm just holy than now. I, I was born holy on June 1st. And I stayed holy until the day I died. <laughs> I've done nothing wrong. I don't know what a Las Vegas look like or Shreveport or anything like that. Chalk talk, I don't know what you're talking about. But I've gone in there and witnessed to them all. And I only know but the hardest drink of ginger ale. <laughs> baby, baby. You know you miss your Kool-Aid with some stuff. I'm just trying to say you got to keep it real where you are so that people understand and can relate to you. Because when you tell people, and Paul always told his business, but when you tell people, I was this jacked up, and it was not me that got me here. It was God Almighty. I cannot explain how I stopped smoking cigarettes. I cannot explain how I stopped this and that. I cannot explain, but I know my God delivered me from it all. I was trapped in a hell cell, and God lifted it all off of me. It was God. And so, when you have that, there was this man who had cancer, terminal cancer. He came to the preaching, said, Preacher, will you pray for me? Preacher, pray. The preacher prayed for healing. Within the week, this man was dead. The wife of the man called and said, I want you to know, preacher, I appreciate you praying for my husband. He's died. The preacher was taken back because he was praying for healing. You see, I want you to know, preacher, up to the time you prayed for him, he was angry with everybody. He was angry with God. He was angry with his family. He was angry with his situation. He said, how dare God, I cannot see my own grandchildren and my, my daughters and my sons grow up. How dare God take my life from me? He said, until you prayed with him, he was like that every day. But I want you to understand that when you prayed for the healing, that from that day, we cried together, we laughed together, we sung together. It was the best days of our life together. And he says, well, sister, I appreciate that. Then she said, preacher, pastor, I know he was not cured, but I do know he was healed. You see, too many times we want the quick fix, but God says, I'm going to take care of it overall. Yes, that man died of cancer. Yes, his body was wrapped in this, this cancer, but God said, when you get to heaven, there's no sorrow. When you get to heaven, I wipe every tear. When you get to heaven, you don't have to worry about the cane anymore. You don't have to worry about the chemo anymore. You don't have to worry about any diet pills anymore. You don't have to worry about all this drama in your life anymore. So sometimes God will give us our healing here on earth, but ultimately, ultimately, 
He will always give us our healing on the other side. God, and understand this, this is temporary. You might live to 100 years old. You got to eternity in heaven. It's so much longer, and so much longer there than it is here. God is going to take care of us. And, and last in this point, I want us to understand, we are not doctors. You ever gone to some folks and tell them about your business, and then they want to diagnose you? And like, do you have a psychology degree? Now, now I want you to understand, I'm an attorney, but, but if you were going to the hospital and you were pregnant, would you go see the foot doctor? Did that sound strange? Would you, oh, oh, I'll help you. But don't you do feet? You won't want the foot doctor looking at your belly. Why? Because he doesn't have the what? Expertise to do that. If you want to ask about some legal problems, you can ask me, but understand, there's a certain realm I don't try to go out of. I cannot tell you about all the real estate law. I, I can't do that. I can hopefully introduce you to somebody, but I can't do that. I can't tell you all those uh, uh, things. But we are just like paramedics. When, when the paramedics came on the scene back in what well, I was told the 70s and the early 80s, because they didn't have paramedics back in the 1920s and stuff like that, that they had to get uh, certain certifications that basically they were not going to be a doctor at the scene. They themselves were going to go back to the doctor and get the prescription of what to do and how to do it. They were not going to operate outside of that. They weren't going to open up heart surgery there on, on the parking lot because they were the paramedic. Their job was to suit you up enough to get you to the hospital so the doctor could see you. Now what am I trying to say? We have one chief doctor. That's why I want you to understand. We as a church, the church for the care for the broken. We are not to heal the broken. That is Jesus Christ's job. We have one doctor. I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. All of us are paramedics. We all drive in the ambulance. Trying to get folks here to the church house. See, that's the one I want to go back to one more time. Have you been driving your ambulance to the church house lately? Have you been binding up some folks? That's enough to get to the church house so that the doctor can start his operation. Have you lately in your life? Or have you just turned it off? And like some paramedics, you see them on the corner, you're like, is he taking a nap? I know I saw Susie just fall out over there. What? Because you think the paramedics should always be on duty. The paramedics should always be able and, uh, and ready to pull people in his uh, emergency vehicle to take them to the church house or take them to the uh, doctor. We should be the same way. Too many times we off guard. Too many times we sleeping in our vehicle. Too many times we have shut down the, uh, the light off. Like, I want y'all to know I'm a Christian. God says we are the paramedics. And all we're supposed to do is bring them to the hospital. Let God do the rest. Let God do the rest. And so then we get into our last point. We get into our last point. We're to stand in the gap. Now when you stand in the gap, you stand between two things. See, if I'm standing in a gap for somebody, that means there's, there's some space, there's something short, something little a shortfall. If I'm going to stand in the gap, God has called us, and, and when we look at that scripture, let's look at that scripture together. So to proclaim a liberty to the captives and the, the opening of the prison so those who are bound, next, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for action, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, 
that he may be glorified. Too many times we have forgot that we are supposed to stand in the gap. See, a hospital, what I love about the NFL now, if you get your bell rung, the doctor's like, hold up. He, I know you want to go in, he cannot go in. Why? Because I don't want him 20 years later killing himself because he had too many concussions. So they're now trying to protect their players. They're standing in the gap between, they're protecting them and standing in the gap like, no, he can't get back in. Too many times we are seeing things and we don't say anything. God is saying the church is supposed to speak up. See, a hospital, a true doctor, and you know you got those releases from the hospital? Like, you can't just go to work. When you've been in the doctor's office, you got to get signed out. You got to get, you can go back to work. It is okay. Because if you don't get that okay, you can't go back to work. When have we stood in the gap? Do you understand that the 1960s, when the civil rights movement happened, that it would not have occurred like that without the church? That the place they were meeting was at the convention center, it was not at the house, it was at the church? The people who were leading it were ministers? It was the church that made the most progress for civil rights of all time. Because we stood in the gap. God is inquiring us, he's requiring us to what? Stand in the gap. We are supposed to speak for the voices. We are supposed to speak for those that cannot speak for themselves. When the police are hammering people against the wall for no reason, we the church are supposed to speak up. Now, Memphis is going to jail. God got us. He's going to free the doors open. He did it for Paul and Silas. He did it for Peter. He did it for Martin Luther King Jr. He'll do it for us too. We got so scared that we don't want to do nothing. Well, we'll lose this. We'll lose that. No, you will lose what? You have been given a requirement by God himself. God is saying, you're supposed to stand in the gap. Well, what does that also mean, Pastor? We're supposed to stand in the gap. When we see somebody who's on the corner, let's don't give them a dollar. See, too many times we do drive-by Christianity. Now, you know when the drive-by? This is what the drive-by does. I don't, I don't have the person know my victims. I'm just shooting wherever I want to shoot. God is saying, the drive-by Christianity must stop. We cannot just drive-by. God wants us to personally invest in each person that we are ministering to. He wants you to invest in this person. He wants you to spend time with this person. He wants you to be in the gap with them. He wants you to intercede in prayer with them. He wants you to mourn with them. This is why when we go back to this, to console those who mourn in Zion. Yes, I can tell you about the freedom in Christ. I can tell you I got the freedom from hell, but I got the freedom for I'm going to heaven. I got the freedom that sin is not going to enwrap me and trap me anymore. I have now freedom in Christ. But now, when I want to mourn, because what if my daddy should die? I need somebody to console me, church. We got to be ready to console one another. And then, we got to give beauty for ashes. Well, what does that mean, preacher? We got to give beauty for ashes. We got to show the goodness of God. We got to show the goodness of God in our life. Ashes mean things have been burnt down to the ground in your life. There have been some burnt down situations in your life. Some of us in here have been through divorces. Some of us have been through job losses. Some of us have been through so much. We have been through with a baby daddy ain't showing up and doing what he's supposed to do. And we have ashes in our life. We have some burnt up relationships. But God is saying, I need you to show the beauty of God's relationship in you. I need you to show the beauty and then oil. This is what I want you to understand. When you got some leather that dried out, how you restore it? You gotta get some oil on it, right? Some of us have been dried out by a situation. We've been dried out by, by a bank account being low. 
We've been dried out by, by the expectations of other folks and we keep failing to reach those expectations. We've been dried out because we, we are tired of the relationships that we've been in. We've been dried out because the folks at the job are crazy, our boss is crazy, the folks that we may be employing are crazy. We are dried out. We are so burnt out that we are ready to give up. And God is saying, I need you to give them all the joy. See, understand, joy is not temporary. God wants you to understand. I want you to minister to them, to minister to them, to serve them with the joy of me in your life. Give them that joy. Because see, if you want some happiness, you'll be happy today. But you're going to be sad tomorrow. And when you have joy, joy can get you through the storm. Joy can get you to the midnight. Joy can get you through when a storm is raging in the sea. And you say, I just need some peace, Lord. It is joy that gets you through. When you can only when you can praise because you got cancer. You can praise even though you're blind. You can praise even though your bank account is at $50. You can praise even when you open your refrigerator and nothing's in it. You can still praise. That's joy. That's joy. And so, he says, that garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. And this is when we get into the tree of righteousness. See, God wants us to be planted. Now, you ever hit a tree just by yourself? Now, with a car now. Some of, some of y'all might have said, I hit it with the car. My car is still messed up. But you ever try to do that to a tree? A real tree. Not the, not the little fresh tree. The real tree. The tree that's been standing there for many. You hurt yourself. Everybody, you been running, y'all playing it or something. And as a kid, you running, and you were looking back, and you would hit that tree, and you fell, but the tree still stood. It was right there. Like, what, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? You're like, oh man, I messed up. <laughs> I didn't see that tree. Why? The tree has roots that you just can't. The tree roots are so strong, it can mess up your house. The tree can mess up that foundation. That the tree is so strong that it takes so much to knock that tree down. Well, God is saying, I want you to plant some trees of righteousness. What? For the glory of God. What does that mean? God wants you to start to plant some seeds. God's going to grow some trees in your life. He's going to some trees that no man can knock over. That, that there's going to be some weapons that have been formed against you, but understand those weapons will not prosper. You will have this tree of God in your life, and no man can put it asunder. No man can tear it up, because God himself put it there. God himself was nurturing it. God himself put that in your life. This is what God wants us to understand. If you got a tree of righteousness in your life, there should be some fruit bearing outside your life. There should be some love, some joy, some peace, some patience, some goodness, some self-control. There should be some fruit coming out. And you know when you have fruit, other folks can eat off your fruit. And they can be blessed off your fruit. And God is saying, is anybody being blessed of the tree that's in your life. Is anybody being able to find some shade from the hot sun, from the hot sun of pain in their life under your tree? Can anybody eat off the fruit of your tree? God is wanting you to plant in your own life, in the life of others, trees of righteousness so that his glory can truly be seen. So we get to the last, God's ER. God has an emergency room that he's calling us to. God is saying, 
I want you to be focused as my son was focused. He was focused on the poor. He was focused on the prisoners. He was focused on the outcasts. He was focused on the underdogs of society. He was focused and understand that he didn't come to get the healthy or the righteous. He came to get the sick. And I was sick. You were sick. We were all sick. But we have a God that came and died on the cross for us and administered the true, the true cure for us. He died on the cross for us, was put in a tomb for three days, and he rose again for us. For us, he lives. We live because he lives. And that's the God we serve. That we were brought into the emergency room ready to die. We were born on delivery, dead. But God said, I revive them today. I will bring them up today. I will bring them back to life today. But we have to believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? He's not asking you to clean yourself up. He's not asking you to go ahead and get off the drugs. He's not asking you to get off the liquor. He said, I'm going to deal with that in your life. The one thing that you need to deal with, come to me. Because see, you're trying to do to fix it all, and this ain't old house. This ain't uh, this old house. No. Don't try to do yourself ministries. No. This is me ministering to you. Let me do the work that's in you. I can do this. And so, this is the God that we serve. We are to reach the poor. We are supposed to minister to the sick. We're supposed to care for the broken. We need to comfort those who are mourning and provide those who are grieving. We're supposed to stand in a gap. God is taking broken people and transforming them into oaks of righteousness for the display of his glory. You can see that today we need to be free this morning. Does anybody proclaim to be free this morning? Amen? Can somebody say, I found my freedom? Amen? Can somebody say, I found my freedom? Can somebody say, I found my freedom? Who did you find it in? Who did you find it in? Jesus. Say it stronger. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't Muhammad. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't Buddha. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't Joseph Smith. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't Mark J. Morrell Sr. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't no big time preacher. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't in yourself. Who did you find it in? Jesus. It wasn't mama or daddy. Who did you find it in? Jesus. We're supposed to be in the hospital and I got the best doctor in the world. Amen. Amen. I ain't worried about no website failing because my God was successful already. Amen. 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 The doors of the church are open.